Amen. That's right. We were made to uh, do life together, right? Y'all can clap that up. That's good stuff. I love that video, man. I love how it points to uh, the fact that we life can be better together. When we do things together, it's uh, it's, it's huge. This past weekend, uh, we had an opportunity to do a man camp. And uh, how many guys in here went to man camp? Uh, let out a, like a yell. Go ahead. Yeah, there we go. Those guys were there, and they had fun, man. It was a great time together. And uh, we had uh, we had some great challenge, some great teaching, and uh, great weather. I mean, it was beautiful. It was just a great time to be there. And God did some things in some men's hearts. I mean, it was awesome to see uh, some men take some steps towards salvation. I mean, literally, they took a step. They stood up and said, hey, listen, man, I want to give my life to Christ. And there was four or five guys that stood, you know, and so... That was awesome. That was a great thing. But I think there was way more decisions. There were 60 to 70 guys there, and uh, there was a great time of challenge. Uh, and, and, you know, and it's easy to kind of go and do something like that. You're kind of uh, in a retreat setting or you're kind of on the mountaintop, and, uh, and it can be easy to be that man of God there. But it's whenever we come back into the trenches and we come back into real life, that's when it can be tough. And that's why we need that brotherhood, and uh, we need those guys around us. And so today our series is really talking about an uncommon brotherhood. Now, I know some of you ladies are like, well, hey, what about us? Uh, you can have the sisterhood. You can call it whatever you want to call it, you know, but brotherhood, I want to kind of dig into that a little bit today and uh, just talk about, you know, how, you know, as men, we need other men in our life. Now, here's the thing. We often say that we don't, and we're told that we don't, and we, we are really, we're kind of keeping everybody at arm's length. We're like, hey, like, I don't want anybody involved in my life. And, uh, and you're going to see that scripture says that you need that and that we all need these relationships with one another. We need, we need people in our life. And uh, so uncommon brotherhood, uncommon brothers are a gift from God. If you've ever had a guy in your life that, uh, that loves you no matter how messed up you've been, no matter what you've done, but they love you, I mean, that's uncommon. And here's the thing, that's divine. If you look at Jesus, you think about, you know, all of us in this room, you know, the sins that you've committed. And Jesus loved you enough that he would lay down his life on a cross he would be pierced for your transgressions, for your sins, for your lies, your cheating, your stealing, your jealousy, your anger, bitterness, rage, whatever that sin might be. He laid down his life to die for you so that you might live. We just got through singing about the cross, right? And, and so here we are, we're going, right, Jesus loved with that kind of love. I mean, he was willing to, you know, forgive the many things I'd done wrong, forgive all the sins, you know, and he was willing to die for the sins of the world. And so to have a man in your life or a lady in your life that loves you and says, hey, listen, I know you've messed up. I know you've blown it, but I want to love you and I want to walk with you and I want to challenge you and I want us to do life together and I want to pour into you, you know, and, and so it's, it's, a, it's an uncommon thing. It's, it's a divine thing. And oftentimes we avoid those opportunities because we just don't want to put ourselves in that type of situation because, you know, that's kind of being a little bit vulnerable maybe. And uh, one of the cool things that we, we covered this past weekend uh, Ken Gallion, who, who was teaching, um, was talking about David and his mighty men and, uh, and was talking about how these were warriors, you know, but they were distressed. I mean, they were in debt. They had all this stuff, but God chose them to, to be these mighty men that would be there for King David. And it was this ragtag, you know, group of guys that would literally lead the nation and they would defend the nation. They would just be warriors. And uh, so it was a beautiful picture that we got to see this past weekend. And it was a reminder of what we need. So King David you know, understood this divine thing. So look at what he says. It says, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. I mean, we look around, we see chaos everywhere, right? We see division. Uh, it depends on what, how you vote. It depends on what color you are. We could go on and on and on at how much you make, how much you don't make. And there's always some type of way to cause division. 
But the psalmist says here that it's, it's a beautiful thing. Man, it's an incredible thing, a wonderful and pleasant thing it is when brothers live together in harmony. And so when there's harmony, there's, there's one mind, one focus, you know, and one purpose. We're moving in that direction. Man, that's a powerful thing. He says, for harmony is as precious as the anointing that was oil that was poured over Aaron's head and that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. And what that's symbolic of is the anointing of God, that it is a divine thing whenever there is great harmony, that is of God. You know, the enemy is always trying to cause division and factions and, and chaos. That's what he does, right? But God is it's like this harmony that comes when we become one. We're walking together. We're, we're, we're living together in a way that, you know what, we're, we're helping each other move towards this one thing that matters most, and that's the kingdom of God. And, and so he said, man, it's, it's, it's of God. It's, it's like the anointing of God on us, just like it was the anointing on him. It says, harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced, has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. And, and so he's talking about the blessings of God. And so if we want harmony in our life, we've got to know, you know, that, that comes from God. That's not for me just kind of, hey, I'm going to be a better person. Uh, you know, I'm just going to you know, avoid certain things. It is a divine thing. And so it comes from my relationship with God. And the people in my life, it comes from their relationship with God. And so the spirit, there's that kindred spirit like we talked about last week. There's that kindred spirit that, hey, you know what, we're drawn to each other. We want to encourage each other. We want to be there for each other. And some of you are going, man, that sounds awesome. But I don't have anybody like that. I don't have anybody that can be that person in my life that, you know, is there for me. And, you know, we know it's hard to find anybody to trust in this day and age. I mean, it's hard to find somebody you can trust. It's hard to find a good friend, right? We know that. Because most of us in this room, we said it last week, we've all been hurt in some way. We've been wounded, we've been hurt, we've been talking about, you know, these wounds and stuff, but maybe it's time to begin to heal uh, of those wounds. Maybe it's time to, to let God do some healing. So we need each other. That's a no-brainer. This whole series has been talking about how we're better together. We need each other. We need people in our life. And even though the enemy tells you you don't need anybody, he's a liar, and he's the father of all lies. He says, hey, listen, you don't need to let anybody know what you've done you know, but the Bible says, confess your sins one to another so that healing may begin, right? And so the more that we get together and the more that we begin to trust each other, the more that we begin to kind of unload some things or even confess some things, we begin to heal. I mean, even going to a counselor, sometimes when you go to a Christian counselor, and I believe counseling can do incredible good for us emotionally, relationally, and in so many ways. But a lot of times we go, you know, I'm not going to a counselor. I'm not going to tell them everything that has happened. Well, the thing is, is what you're doing is you're confessing and you're laying some things out there and they're able to help you, number one, let those things go and begin to move towards healing. And, you know, and so counseling is one of those things that can, it's just a mediator, somebody that's kind of standing in the gap and it's outside perspective and they see, hey, this may help your marriage. This may help you to overcome some of the wounds that you maybe you, uh, you know, endured through maybe past relationships. So we need each other. And we've read this passage over and over this, throughout the series, but two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. And if one person falls, the other, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Um, th there are times, you know, we, we do dumb things, you know. So there's been times I've gone and uh, been on a tractor out in the middle of the woods. Nobody knows where I'm at. I used to, at our hunting club that I used to be a part of back years ago, I did all the tractor work because that was kind of my escape. It's like I would get on that tractor and I'm bush hogging or I'm disking or whatever. And it was just like, you know what? I didn't worry about anything. I didn't worry about ministry. I didn't worry about nothing. It was just like, that was my escape. And so I'm out there, the breeze blowing in your face. 
and you're just on a tractor. And later I would go, you know, that's kind of stupid because nobody knows where I'm at on all that land. You know, I didn't leave it. I didn't, hey, I'm, this is where I'm going to be. I didn't have a phone, you know, that I was going to, hey, listen, you can just track my GPS or whatever. And so you look back and like, man, that was really dumb. And so that was not a good thing to do. That was not wise, you know. And so I would say that there are times we're the same way. We, we isolate ourselves and we do things that are really dumb, you know, and we go, you know what, that, that's probably not wise. We, we need to make sure that, you know, people know where we are. And, and we, need, we need to let them know where we are spiritually, not just physically, emotionally, relationally. You know, and where we are, man, just in our mind, man, you know, maybe I'm struggling. But if we got somebody that can pick us up, man, it makes all the difference in the world. It says, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? So this is really coming from a military background as well. And some of the guys that are military that have maybe done like survival training and stuff like that, you know, and, and uh, they have to get together and kind of huddle together to keep each other warm. You know, and there's times that maybe in battle they've seen or heard, you know, hey, a guy dies because of hypothermia or whatever. But, man, if you're able to be together, you're able to be warm. And that's what it's pointing to. Hey, you've got someone there to, to snuggle up with, if you will. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three, or even better for a triple-braided cord, is not easily broken. And so when we look at that, we go, you know what? All right, obviously, you know, we talked about this throughout this series that, you know, I've got this area, but somebody's got my sick. Somebody's got my back. But, you know, even a third, a third person in there, it cuts down how much you have to maintain. I, you know, I, there's been times I've sat in, you know, a stand or something like that hunting, and you're, you're looking at so much stuff that you're just wore out when you get to the end. But, man, if you can narrow it down to where you're not, you're not looking at so much, and you got three guys that are kind of protecting, or maybe one guy, you know, is able to, he's kind of able to stand guard while the others get rest, and you're able to rotate. It changes everything, right? And, and so we need these people in our life. And so I love the statement. This is by Steve Farrar. And I want, you to, I want you to hear this. It says, if you're a husband or a father, then you're in a war. I mean, I, Steve Farrar was a writer. He wrote the, man, uh, the, wrote the book Point Man. He says, if you're a husband or a father, then you're in a war. Today, leading a family through the chaos of American culture is like leading a small patrol through enemy-occupied territory, and you are the point man. And so Steve wrote that book, and he was talking about, you know, these patrols that would work like in Vietnam and different countries through the years. <clears throat> and he was talking about how there was a guy that was the point man. So he's the first moving into enemy territory. And they're, they're working through this enemy territory, and they're having to watch for trip wires and everything else and, you know, just uh, booby traps that are everywhere. And so you're taking the lead. And so what he's saying, he's, he's saying to the men in the room, he's saying to the fathers, the dads, the men, he's saying, hey, listen, you are trying to lead your family through a war zone. And I think most of us would agree that that's what it's like in America right now. I mean, it is hard to raise kids. There's so many influences with social media and, you know, they've all got a phone and they're all, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that they're being bombarded with. And a lot of it's way more than what we had to deal with growing up. So navigating all this and, you know, now there's so many crazy teachings that are out there and the media is going to get behind whatever you know, it doesn't matter what God's word says. It doesn't matter. You know, they're, they're just going to push whatever. And we've got to go, you know what? Hey, that's not truth. That's not God's word. That's not God's plan, right? And, and then there's the attack that's going to come. I mean, that's just part of it. You've got to be okay with that. And so whenever you look back at this, and I, I realize, you know, Steve, when he wrote that book, man, it began to impact a lot of men's lives. And there was a movement that was uh, going on at that time called Promise Keepers. And Steve was one of the speakers that would speak at that would there would be men that would gather it started out in boulder colorado meeting at a college campus and they filled a stadium with like fifty thousand men 
And those men were wanting to go, how, how do you become a man of God? How do you become a man that can make a difference in the lives of his family? How do you lead and lead well? How do you be a, how, how are you to become a, a man of integrity? And it began to move, and there was, there was places all over the nation that were meeting, and they were filling up every kind of stadium you could imagine. But a lot of that has kind of faded away, and a lot of men don't even want to be that guy anymore. They don't want to be that man of God. They don't, they're like, hey, you know what, I'm just good with kind of less responsibility. I'm good with the, you know, not having to kind of do as much. I'll get my wife to do more. I'll get somebody else to do more. And, and I'll just shirk on my responsibilities is pretty much the way we have the mentality sometimes. And we've got to be willing to say, God, I, I want to be that point man. I want to be that guy that leads my family, that leads them in prayer, that leads them in the, in the study of Scripture, that, that serves them. It's not about dominating. It's not about being, you know, large and in charge. It's about outserving our family. And we've got to have that mentality. And I love, I love Steve's heart. It says, many men fall into sin without, a, without another man stint, uh, strong enough, loving enough, or courageous enough to call him to repentance. See, we don't want anybody too close because they may know what we do and they may, they may call us out. I mean, Peter got called out by Paul, right? Those two of the godliest men that we see there. The church is built on these guys. And, and Paul goes to Peter and he says, hey, listen, man, what you're doing is not right. And every man, and I'll just say this, every woman in this room needs somebody in your life that is spiritual enough and loves you enough and cares enough to call you out when you're living in sin. And we've gotten to the point where we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You know, this cancel culture, man, they'll shut you down. And we've got to be able to say, hey, listen, I love you enough and I care enough about your family and I care enough about your witness and I care enough about you that, you know what, you can't do that and honor God. There are times whenever I do pre-marriage counseling and I'll be talking with a young couple and, and in this day and age, it seems like the, the, the end thing to do is just to live together, you know, and then, hey, you know, maybe later get married or whatever. And I tell them, hey, listen, if you want to be in a center of God's blessings and you want God to bless this relationship, then men don't live together, but honor God with your bodies, honor God with how you live. You know, and then, you know, if you want to get married, get married. And get married and ask for God's blessing on that. You might say, well, Mike, that's kind of old-timey. No, that's biblical is what it's called. You know what I'm saying? And so we've got to be able to say, hey, listen, I want to be in the center of God's blessings. I want to experience His best for my life. Well, then do what He has said it will take to get there, right? He's given us those guidelines. But we need men in our life that will, will call us out, guys. Godly men not only speak up when they see sin, but they love when others show them their own sin. So a man who is a man of God, you know, there's going to be times whenever you, you didn't see it a certain way, but whenever they do call you out and they say, hey, listen, man, this is sin. And they back it up with scripture. It's not just their opinion or whatever. And you go, hey, listen, man, thank you for loving me enough to speak that into my life. And I'll just tell you that takes courage to do that. Because like I said, everybody gets their feelings hurt nowadays, right? And you go like, well, you, you hurt my feelings. I, I was kind of jokingly last weekend when we got done. I walked back to the back and a lady walked up and she said, she goes, I want you to know you, you, you hurt my feelings today. And I said, did you hear the message I just taught? And uh, she said, well, I want to go to man camp. I said, well, you're not. And uh, she said, uh, she said, well, I, I've been helping with some of that stuff. I said, I don't care. I said, you're not going. I said, it's for men. And, uh, and she hugged my neck. And, but I'm just saying, there are times we've got to be willing to say, hey, listen, you know, I need someone to speak truth into my life. And I need someone to say, hey, listen, I don't, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but I'm trying to help your life trying to help your walk, you know, and so we, we've got to let somebody speak those things into our life. And so every man can fall. This needs to be clear. We're all, man, once we're all real close. We're all real close to just blowing it. And so scripture addresses that. We've got to, we've got to be on guard. It says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. 
The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. So God is there. God's in the midst of these temptations, but the temptations are coming. It's not like, hey, man, I make a decision at man camp or I make a decision at the altar and I, and I get up and, hey, listen, man, I'm going to live for Jesus and all the temptations are going to go away. They're probably going to be ramped up, to be honest with you. It's probably going to be a little bit tougher to walk with Jesus than it was to walk with the devil because the devil's like, hey, listen, man, he's on my team. I don't really have to do a whole lot in his life. But, man, when we start walking with Jesus, there's going to be a war, right? And we've got to be able to say, you know what, God, I know that the temptations are coming. But God, I need men in my life, and I need people in my life, and I need someone that can hold me accountable, and I need someone that will speak life over me, and I need someone that will pray for me and pray for my family, and I know that they're crying out to God on my behalf. We need those people in our life. It says, He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand, and when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. And so God's always got a plan, Right? We may not agree with his plan. We may not like his plan. And we may think that, hey, something is better than what God says, but God's best is always the best. So here's, here's a statement that we used to say this all the time. It says, we're all one stupid decision away from blowing everything. In ministry, there's a lot of guys that have blown it, that have messed up. And I had a friend of mine that he, he made some really bad decisions. And, uh, and pastors and ministers can be the worst about going, you know, pointing out the wrong in another minister's life or another pastor's life and so this was a friend of mine who who did some stupid things and he ended up going to jail for it for a long time and all these other guys would kind of condescendingly talk about you know him and kind of you know what he did and everything hey listen man be careful we're all one stupid decision away from being right where he's at and I would say that to you guys in this room you see stuff and you know and you think well man how could somebody do it why would somebody do that I'm just telling you you're, you're one stupid decision away from doing something just as bad maybe in a different arena of life, but I'm just telling you, we all have to be on guard. We have to know that, you know what, we have got to make good decisions. We've got to be willing to choose the path that God has laid out, not what this world is selling. And I'm just telling you again, the temptations are there. It looks good. You think that's the direction I need to go. You know, everything around me is pushing that direction, but God says, hey, listen, this is the path that you should choose. And we've got to be willing to choose that and we can make a bad decision real quick. We need to surround ourselves with people that love us, that love our marriage, that love our family, and they love our witness. You know, they're concerned about our witness. They care about our marriage. They pray for our marriage. They pray for us to be one and to be unified. They care about our kids. They pray for them by name. We need to surround ourselves with people like that. But they care about our witness. You know, how we, how we do things and how we talk to people and how we treat people. And let me tell you, all of this that's listed above this, like, hey, loving people and loving our marriage and loving our family, that is your witness. That is your witness. And, and, and so you might go out, you may share the gospel, you come home and you treat your wife like crap. That's not okay. That is your witness. You know, you talk to your kids like they're garbage or whatever, but yet you go out and you, you take your Bible and you sit in the church and you raise your hands in worship, but you don't treat your family worth a flip. That is your witness. And so we've got to be able to say, God, help me to be that man of God that leads his family well, that loves his wife. You know, if you're a woman, that you love your husband. You don't run him down. You don't talk about him. You build him up. You know, you're, you're praying for him. You're interceding for him. So we need to surround ourselves with people like that. And here's, here's one thing we know is encouragement is critical. We need encouragement. Every one of us do. We need an attaboy. You know, sometimes you just need someone to say, hey, listen, man, you did a good job. Man, you knocked out of the park. This past week, you know, uh, we, uh, we had man camp. And uh, there's a lot of details that went into man camp. And uh, th so many details. Because, you know, you're doing a lot of things out there. 
you know, you, you've got uh, food going on, you've got worship going on, you've got, you know, uh, handouts that are being taken, taken care of, you've got name tags, you, I mean, just so many things, sleeping arrangements, who's sleeping where, getting everybody signed up and all that stuff. And our staff did an incredible job of making sure all those details were covered. We had a team of guys, you know, that were a part of that, that, that helped make sure that things got done, you know, getting stuff out there, getting stuff back because they wanted it to be an experience for these guys. You know, we had, we had a prayer chain that was going there. There were people that were praying. They were interceding. We divided up all the names of the guys, and we had our staff praying over a group of guys. You know, hey, these are the guys that you've got. Pray for them by name. So every man that was at that camp was being prayed for by name. You know, and there was people that were, you know, that were praying for God to move and to stir in the hearts of those men. So there was a lot of details. And so, you know, I just want to say thank you to the staff and to that team and, and to the guys that served. And we had guys that were captains that, you know, had never served as a captain of a team and their job was to facilitate discussion. And we're, we're talking about some deep stuff. And so, man, all those guys did a good job. And so we need that encouragement. Hey, man, you did a good job, but don't quit doing it. Keep doing it. Keep making a difference, right? Stay with it. it. says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. We know that God's good, right? So let us think of ways to motiv- motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So let's sit around thinking, hey, how do, we, how do we motivate guys? How do we motivate ladies? How do we motivate children? How do we motivate students? Men, towards the things of God, towards love and good deeds and good works. I mean, how do we motivate people to do that? It says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And so we need, we need to understand, you know what? We need to be together. I, I love looking out and seeing all you guys here. And hopefully, you know, you're encouraged today, but you're also challenged today. And then when we walk out of here, you know, it's not what just happens in these four walls, but it's what we do when we walk out of here. That when we leave here, that we go to wherever we work or we go to wherever we live or we go to wherever we go to school and we live out what we have talked about. It's the application of God's word. It's the application of scripture. This past week, one of the guys that's over our parking team, we do a, a Zoom call every Sunday night with our dream team leaders just to, hey, listen, man, how can we improve? How do we do things better? How do we, you know, making sure that communication is good. And uh, one of the guys was talking about where he works at. He was in the parking lot and he had an opportunity to talk to this gentleman about his faith. And I said, hey, man, you got a parking, you got a parking lot ministry at the church and it's your work. That's awesome. And, and so God, what he was doing is he was taking it outside of here. It's not what just happens here. You know, and so I was able to encourage him, right? Hey, man, keep sharing the gospel. Keep loving on people. You know, keep looking for ways to, to just encourage people and to build them up. You know, and it's not just what we do here. It's what we do outside of here. It says, what men in your life consistently stir you up towards love and good works? I know that's a question for the men, but I would ask every one of us in the room, who in your life is constantly stirring you up towards doing the right thing? You know, I want to thank God for them. You know, so ask yourself, who in my life is stirring me up towards love and good works? Who's encouraging me to do the right things? Who's praying for me? Who's, and you might go, Mike, I don't have anybody like that. Well, then start praying for that person. Go to stuff like man camp. Get involved in a life group. You know, make sure that you're, you're building connections. Get, go to the serve class when we do it. Get on a, one of the, the serve teams and maybe you connect with somebody there or maybe there's somebody that you know, but you're afraid to ask them, get outside of yourself and hey, ask them, hey, listen, would you be willing to disciple me? Would you be willing to mentor me? Would you be willing to invest in me? Maybe you know an older couple, man, that their marriage seems really solid, 
and you go, man, our marriage is not good. And you say, hey, listen, can we take you out to dinner? Can we buy you supper? Can we just pick your brain? You know, maybe they got kids that look like they turned out halfway okay. I don't know, you know? And you go, hey, listen, man, you look like you know a little something about parenting. Can you share with us what you've done? Right? And you begin to build relationships with someone that will spur you on. Here's the, here's the sad story. It's too often we don't look for somebody like this. We look for somebody that will pull us down. And we're drawn to those people. And I'm just telling you, there's, those are plenty. They're plentiful. Yeah, and we've got to find someone that doesn't pull us down. But man, they're able to pull us up. And they're able to encourage us and to challenge us. And, and they love us. They're, they're not trying to, you know, use us. And they're just, they're, we're not just a fun time for them. We're more than that. It says this kind of brotherhood nourishes our marriages and families, churches and communities. See, if we have a brotherhood like that, if that, like, like King David said at the beginning, man, man, how beautiful that is. If we have harmony like that among the brotherhood, if we have brothers that love each other, that are challenging each other, that are there for each other, then we're going to have stronger marriages and we're going to have families that know that, you know what, there is a God and it has changed my dad. It has changed my, my father, you know, and I've seen it and I know that he loves the Lord, you know, and, and so we live those things out. And so, therefore, it's going to affect our churches, right? It's going to affect our church. When men lead, I'm just telling you, it changes things. It just changes things in the church. It changes things in the community. And this is not a knock against women at all. I'm just telling y'all. I mean, Jesus was more for women than anybody else in the, in, the, in the history of the world. I mean, he was for women. But men are supposed to lead. There's a responsibility that we have. And we're to lead and lead well. But the thing is, is too many men have just given up. We've kind of passed the torch or we just laid it down. We aren't, we're not doing what we have been called to do or what we've been equipped to do. Crises are addressed with greater humility, courage, and compassion when there's this brotherhood with great unity. In other words, you're not just talking about each other. You're going to each other. And you're, look at it. It says they're addressed. It doesn't mean that you sweep it under the rug. It doesn't mean that you just dog them out. It says that you go to them with greater humility. Say, listen, maybe this is my fault. Maybe, maybe this is something that I didn't do well. But man, I want, I want us to work this out. I want us to have great harmony. I want there to be great unity. And it takes courage to do that. And, there, and then there's compassion. Man, you show compassion for others. Because we know what it's like to be broken, right? We know what it's like to be hurt. We know what it's like to be messed up. And, and we want there to be great unity because that's what honors God. Workplaces and communities are filled with greater light and hope. Think about that. If men would gather together and love on each other, and challenge each other, and be there for each other, and at even times rebuke one another, I'm just telling you, man, it would change everything around us. And we would go to our work with a mission, not just to make money, not just to provide for our family, not just to buy more toys, but we would go to work with the mindset of, you know what, God, I want you to use me to be light and hope in a dark place. I was just talking with a guy in the back about, you know, he's getting into a a club or something. He said, you know, I don't know if it's the best thing for me. He said, because I said, Hey, my, God may be putting you there because that's going to be your mission field. You know, and you've got to say, God, I, I want to be here. Too often people go, well, I'm the only Christian there. That's a good thing. You get to be an influence. You get to be a light, right? And so we've got to have that mentality, you know, that we need them there. So let me just say this to the men. We must accept responsibility. We must accept responsibility. Look at what it, it tells us here in, in Genesis 2. It says, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the, he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. And so 
We go back to the very beginning of Genesis. God spoke all things into existence. Everything that we enjoyed this weekend, God spoke it into existence. Every star that's in the sky, he spoke into existence. He, you know, he, he created everything. He created man. He takes the dust of the ground. I mean, think about how miraculous that is. And he forms man. He breathes life into him. He creates us in his image. And there's a reason for that. God has a, a he has a, an order to things. And so we, the world doesn't like that order. I'll go ahead and tell you. And a lot of people don't like that order, but that's God's plan. That's God's order. And, and so God breathed life into, into man. And his position is critical. It's the leader of that family. He would, he would, God would say, hey, listen, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he would, he would take a rib from man, right? Next to his, you know, next to his heart. You know, not something that he could lord over the woman or anything like that. No, it was, but it was next to his heart, part of him a piece of him. And he, he forms woman and he says, Hey, listen, the, the two of you are going to become one. And it's beautiful. I mean, that's what we're talking about in marriage, man. In marriage, that is a beautiful thing. When the two become one, man, they, they're literally one as a family and they become one physically. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. And they produce children that are beautiful. That, that honors God in God's plan. And so God begins, you know, with the man. So his position is critical. Since if you can change the heart of a man, you can change the direction of a family. That's a bold statement, but the likelihood of a family's, you know, spiritual life being impacted, even their salvation, if, a, if the dad, if the father, if the man comes to know Christ and begins to really live for Jesus and not just play a game, not go to man camp and talk about how spiritual you are and then go home and cuss your wife. You can't do that. You can't go home and dog your kids out, but you go home and you live it out and you live it out and you honor God with how you live and you honor your family with how you live and you treat them with respect and honor, then God says, hey, you know what, man, there, there's a likelihood that like 93% likelihood that those children and that wife may come to know Christ if they don't know him already. And so fathers, we have that, that responsibility and we've got to be willing to take that responsibility and say, God, I want to make a difference in the life of my kid. So his position is a position of priority. It starts with us. We have to start there. You know, we have to say, God, you know, I want to be the first to serve. I want to be the first to lead. I want to be the first to love. I want to be the first to say, I'm sorry. You know, there's a lot of us in this room that we're the last one to say, I'm sorry, right? We've got to be the first to say, we're sorry. We've got to be the first to serve. We've got to be the first to, to do and to sacrifice and to give up maybe what we think is so important for what maybe our family needs. Maybe what our family needs. What do your children need from you? Maybe you're thinking, hey, they need toys, don't they? No, they need time. They need time with you. They need to hear you say that you love them. We got a lady in our church that has never heard her dad say that he loves her. It blows my mind. Our position is a priority. And we need to say, God, I want you to be the priority in my life. And God, with you as first place in my life, it's going to change everything in my life. And God, I want to be an influence in the life of my family. I want to serve them. I want to love them. I want to be willing to forgive. I want to be willing to teach. I want to be willing to disciple. I want to be willing to pour into them. And so it, it, it takes him being a, understanding that, that, uh, that priority. The man would be held responsible. I mean, you think back into the scriptures. When God comes walking into the garden, he's looking for Adam. He says, Adam, where are you at? And he, they were, we were hiding, Lord. And he goes to Adam because Adam was who had to give an account of what happened. You know, he didn't come asking for Eve. He said, Adam, what, where are you? Where are you? And he was hiding, right? And so he was the one that was standing there when Eve took the fruit. 
He wasn't leading. He wasn't protecting. He wasn't doing his job. And, and so God comes asking, hey, where are you? Where are you? God knew where he was at, right? He was just giving Adam an opportunity to respond and say, hey, this, God, this is what I did. I blew it. He didn't take ownership. He said, that woman that you gave me did this. He blames it, right? And that's what a lot we do now. We blame it on my past or my dad wasn't a great dad. He doesn't, your dad doesn't have to be a great dad. You have a heavenly father that can be the best dad ever, right? And we can say, hey, listen, I'll, God, I just want to be responsible. Take ownership and lead and lead well. And so as men, we have to accept responsibility. We can either, we can either leave it laying there. We can blame it on everything else, our, you know, our past history, maybe how we were raised, the environment. Those things have an impact. Don't, don't misunderstand that. I grew up in dysfunction junction. You know, I had a dad that was an alcoholic and a gamblerholic and wasn't always there. You know, even whenever he became a grandfather, he wasn't always there. I get that. But I loved him, right? And I, I tell people all the time, I said, I can talk about my dad, but don't you talk about my dad. That's fighting words, right? So, so the thing is, is I loved him, but man, there's things I needed from him as, as, a, as a young boy. And there's things that your family needs from you. And it's to be that man of God and to take responsibility and provide for your family, work hard. You know, this day and age, man, you can't find anybody that wants to work. It's crazy, right? And I know we went through a pandemic, and I know the government gave a lot of people a lot of money, and I know a lot of people, you know, are, are making it, you know, however, I don't know how they're making it, to be honest with you, but a lot of people just don't want to work. And I'll, I'll just tell you this, there is a spirit of laziness on our country right now. I mean, there's just a spirit of laziness, and that's not, that's not old school talking, that's just biblical talking. The Bible says, don't be lazy, but work hard as under the Lord. And we got so many people, even Christians that won't work. And whenever they do work, they complain about the work. And they're always talking about, well, you know, dadgummit, it's Monday. Well, no, you, you got a job. It's part of your witness. Hey, man, we celebrate it Friday. woo it's Friday. You know what? You have a job. Let it be, be something you celebrate, not something you curse. But you go, God, I want to go and work, and I want to honor you. So accept that responsibility. I love this statement here. This is Steve Ferrar's way. He says, he has wired us to lead. Don't let the world emasculate you. And I'm, I'm speaking to the men in here. Don't let the world emasculate you. That is the world's job. That is what they're trying to do. Every way you can imagine. It says God has called you to strongly lead, protect, and care for your family. God has called you to do that. You have a, God, you have a calling from God on your life to lead your family well. But this world is doing everything it can to destroy the role of the father, of the dad, of the husband. I mean, every sitcom makes the dad look like the biggest fool in the world, right? I mean, he's the biggest idiot on TV. And, and so what the world is trying to do is trying to emasculate the man. And that's why I said last week, we're, we unapologetically at man camp are going to be teaching on the things that God celebrates as a man who is a godly man. And those are masculine qualities. When masculine leadership is properly channeled the right way, the God way, it can be the most powerful weapon against the forces that would destroy your marriage and your family. Man, that's a powerful statement. And so if you're wondering, hey, how do I protect my family by getting your heart right, you know, and understanding how to be a man of God and lead your family well and not letting everything else, not the world, not all the pressures, not all the social stuff, all the media stuff, literally take away that desire and that drive to be the leader of your family and to lead and lead well. It says our families and communities need bold, intentional, and sacrificial leadership like the leadership Jesus exemplified. When he walked the earth, there's no more, there's no one more masculine to me than Jesus. I mean, you talk about a man's man who would lay down and let someone drive nails through their hands for something he didn't do. 
right? You're talking about a man's man that would lay there and have his hands tied to something and they beat his back and they rip it to shreds and his black back is just pouring blood. And he's sitting there taking that beating for you and for me. That's a man right there. He's go, and, he gets, and he's hanging on that cross and he's, he's literally struggling to breathe. He's having to pull against his flesh to lift himself up to be able to breathe. And he's suffocating. He's bleeding out. And he goes, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's a man right there, I'm just telling you. That's a man. And, and so the example that we need is not what some basketball player, some football player, some guy out there that doesn't know Jesus. We, that's not the model that we need. We need to look back and say, you know what, man, I want to be a, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be a man who loves his family. I want to be a man that loves his country. I want to be a man that loves everything that God has blessed me with. And I want to be a good steward of that. I want to be a good manager of that. That's what our nation needs. That's what our communities need. And so here's some next steps for us today. <clears throat> For every man in here, and I would just say this, and this goes to the ladies as well. Ladies, you need a lady in your life that is like that, that is, that is challenging you, that is loving you, that's calling you out whenever you're living in sin. Whenever you start to gossip, she says, hey, listen, stop. That's gossip. I'm not going to be a part of it. It might offend you, but you know what? You need that person in your life. So pray for God to put godly men in your life, men, that will challenge you. Ladies, you need ladies in your life that will challenge you. They're going to challenge you to read a scripture. They're going to challenge you to memorize a verse. They're going to challenge you to share your faith. They're going to challenge you to pray for your spouse. They're going to challenge you to, to lead your kids. They're going to challenge you to do a devotion. They're going to challenge you with some things. We need those. We need to be that godly man in a brother's life. Maybe there's some of you in here and you go, man, I really don't have time to invest in someone else's life. That's because you're too selfish. And you're not, you're not in line with what God has said. God has said, hey, listen, we're to go and make disciples right? And baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so really every man in here should be asking God, who can pour into me and who can I pour into? And who can I one day maybe lead to Christ and one day stand in these waters and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? You know, maybe that's your brother. Maybe that's a, a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. But we got to be able to say, God, help me to be that guy in somebody's life. And then here's the other, take responsibility for leading your family. Don't leave that to somebody else. And don't, and, and don't walk out here and say, you know what, Mike said, I'm going to leave. So right, you know, now I'm leading. That's not how that works. You lead by serving. You lead by praying. You lead by, you know, spending time in God's Word. You lead by getting your heart right, maybe going to an altar or dropping at your knees wherever you are and say, God, I just want to get my heart right. If you get your heart right, it's going to change everything in your life, and then you can begin to lead well. But if your heart's not right with God, and if you don't have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, you'll never lead your family well. Not the way that God intends. There's no way you can. I think I put this on just about every next step. is trust God with all your heart. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to ask you a couple questions. Maybe you're watching online. Thank you for watching. Thank you for joining us that way. And I know I've been speaking to the men today. And I don't apologize for that at all. But I know our families and our communities 
need men to lead well. And I believe with all my heart that God's calling some of you men to change. Your focus is in the wrong way, wrong direction, wrong things. And my prayer that God is saying to you right now, hey, it's time to change. It's time to step up. It's time to surrender. And I want to encourage you to trust Him. You don't have it figured out. I don't either. But I do know that Jesus does. And I do know that if I surrender my life to Him and I follow Him, He's going to lead me in the right direction. He's going to show me the steps to take. He's going to teach me how to serve. He's going to teach me how to sacrifice. He's going to teach me how to lead. There may be some of you here in the room that you've never put your faith in Christ for salvation. Or maybe there's some of you watching online that you've never received Jesus for salvation. You've never surrendered your life to Him. I want to give you an opportunity. And just right where you're at, just, just maybe you get on your knees, maybe by your, by your couch there. Maybe if you're here, just right there where you're sitting and say, Jesus, will you come into my life? Jesus, will you forgive me of the sins that I've committed? And there are many. Jesus, will you change me starting today? And his answer is yes to every one of those. Just say, Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I come to you right now and I ask you to step into my life to change me, to transform me. Today, I want to accept responsibility for the steps ahead. But I'm following you. If that is your prayer, if you just prayed that prayer, if you asked Jesus, you said, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want, you to, I want to ask you to forgive me. Jesus, I want to quit living the way I've been living. I want to live for you. That's repentance. The Bible says you will be saved. You will be. But salvation is the beginning. There is a journey to take. There is a walk to walk. There is a mission that God has for us. And so salvation is the beginning, but it's living it out. It's having that uncommon brotherhood, driving back the darkness, impacting our communities, and leading our families well. If you just prayed to receive Christ either online or here in the room, if you would let us know. In, in the room, you can fill out a connection card. You can let us know that. If, you're, if you did it online, you can text that message to us. There's a part of me I want to ask for a show of hands, but I believe that God is showing you right now. But I do want to encourage you to take the next step. Don't let this be the end of what you do. Go back to the VIP, come to the front, fill out that card, take the next step. Father, I thank you for meeting with us today. God, I know that you're calling us to change. God, I know you've started that with me. God, change me. Help me to lead well. Father, help me to die to self and to serve and lead in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team's coming to sing. If you guys would, everybody across the room, just stand. You respond as the Holy Spirit leads. The altar's here. Prayer team's here. Men, don't 
drag this out take a step don't negotiate with God you'll lose every time just surrender 